is there a, is there something that isn't i guess and or is there an opposite or cuz i know um organic tries to not be that but i think at the end of the day everything is genetically engineered to some capacity or modified if it's something that we're still using today and the intentions behind that are typically positive um or for the betterment of that product maybe i don't i don't know is uh is there something that's clearly opposite of it to you like no no everything's everything has been you know bent to to shape to reshape for you know for humans uh, use and betterment of plants and and animals right mm-hmm. so we've been at it for a long time you know really since moses came off the mountain and he's like you know what we got to milk some bloody camels <laughs> and uh, except they're they're too freaking wild you know and they kick your teeth out he's <laughs> like well we got to do something about it so we start you know they start selecting for more docile female camels and have you ever tried to milk a camel? <laughs> I haven't. Oh. I have not. Have you? Well, I have. Um, in go? Jordan, and it's a, it's a hell of a, it's a, it's a kind of a, it's kind of a rodeo. In fact, the way they get them to, they, they won't let their milk down, and the only way you can get the milk out of them, which they covet, you know, in the Middle East, um, it's very, it's very valuable, <laughs> and and it's and it's, uh, and it's uh, has you know immunotherapeutic benefits to camel milk that they really believe in and i think there is some data to support it but anyway i digress but when they go to milk these camels they got to have a calf on them and then they have an apron over the udder so that the calf can't drink all the milk because otherwise the household you don't get any milk and uh so they keep this uh uh, canvas um over her udder and then they and then they let the calf they release that like an apron and then the calf is hungry and it jumps in there to drink and then while the calf's drinking, then the cow, the, the camel cow, she lets down her milk, you know, she gets the mm-hmm. oxytocin stimulation and bam, down comes the milk. And then they quick run in there with a pot and sneak <laughs> under there and grab hold of the other teat and milk <laughs> and, and quick milk that uh, uh, the other teat that the calf's not on to get it out of the camel. Wow. So you latch on to the other one. Yeah. The calf is right, there. right. So anyway, my point is, yeah, you get it's, it would be a pretty dangerous enterprise. It's already kind of, it's already kind of athletic enough, <laughs> uh, dexterous enough to do it. But uh, anyway, so we've domesticated stuff for for thousands of years. We started farming in Turkey. Uh, they believe Turkey is the origin of it. Certainly in Mesopotamia and the the, the and in maybe Egypt, right? The 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 um the Euphrates and the, um, the Nile basins, right? And so 10,000, 12,000 years ago. And since then, we've been selecting, you know, plants and animals, putting pressure on them to make them more docile, to make them fatter, to grow faster, to make them herd more herd-like so they don't all run away in the night, you know. And same with uh, wheat or cereal grains. They've been selecting from uh, you know, it used to, it was called the Fertile Crescent. That's mm-hmm. where all these cereals came from. And, um, you know, for them to hang on to seeds, like people wouldn't even know. Some of these plants, cereal grains, these food grains, you know, we put such selection pressure on them as humans for thousands of years that they won't even release their seeds naturally anymore. Mm. You know, <laughs> they won't drop to the ground. They hang on to them so tightly because we've selected for them so that through all the storms, you know, and the winds that we don't lose that those seeds onto the ground to rot, and um, so there's a good example of how 
you know we've we've been at it for thousands of years and then so that's one piece of 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 um you know genetic pressure that we've put on um plants and animals that are useful to us mm. you know pigeons even you go to egypt and they still have them on the farms these huge pigeon coops where you have thousands of pigeons there that they're that they're they they sort of farm them symbiotically or synergistically with the cattle so the pigeons can work through the cattle manure, pick mm. out the grain that's in there, and then, but but they've selected these pigeons as examples, so they don't, you know, they don't fly away to, like up to up to uh, Sweden or something, you know. They want them to stay around and come back every night to the farm, mm-hmm. and um and then they harvest them. They reach into these big clay nests that they build for them. You know, it looks like a pyramid full of holes and. And, and each pigeon has a, you know, has a roost inside them. And then when it's time to have, you know, when you want to harvest some pigeons for market or for meals, you just reach in and grab one. <laughs> but anyway, another example of it. How about the ones that um, maybe aren't even intentionally domesticated or um, genetically modified would be, like pigs have a fascinating domestication story, right? Didn't yeah, they kind yeah. of um, right. follow along with a little bit of nomadic groups and would live off of the the waste of these groups and naturally the ones that learned to follow closer ended up doing better and then kind of self-domesticated themselves alongside humans yeah um, is that where was I, that I, well i think that's um is it the uh is it rome is that where it started i know well, the book the lesser beasts talk about it but yeah, i don't remember where it was actually originated beasts. seems like everything started in the in Africa, you know, North Africa, or the Fertile Crescent, and pigs, you know, like they, in that book, Lesser Beasts, it's really a good book, you've read it, but, um, you know, they 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 found traces, huge, huge mounds of um, pig bones, you know, at the um, pyramid sites in Giza and Egypt. Mm. So when they were building the pyramids, apparently they were, the, the workers were consuming pigs there, and, um, so I'm not sure where they. I'm not. I don't even know exactly where the first origin of the wild pig comes from. But yeah, I don't actually think mm. it is the Romans. I think they were actually Certainly. known for not eating them right away. Um, well, the Romans really loved them. Like they mm. took it to be like the Chinese today. You know, I mean, pig is everything to the Chinese. It's their number one food, mm. protein source, and it's mm. the thing they covet and love the most. You know, it's like a it really is like a national security issue, supplying them with pork. That's why they're having such terrible trouble with this African swine fever. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's really a political um, uh, um, it's a political and economical, but more political. Like if they don't get pork squared away in China, they got really an unhappy population. Mm. And and um, and African swine fever has decimated their herds, along with um, uh, purrs too. But um, so they yeah. have a really a strategic imperative to secure that kind of their country with pork because they love it so much. Well, the Romans loved it too. Anyway, so we put a lot of pressure on pigs, and they did domesticate themselves to humans, like like you mentioned, rather than it was kind of like a co-domestication. Mm. Yeah. So they love to be around people because of scraps, mm-hmm. and um, they're great. They also were, you know, they were 
Like under up until recent times, under every Chinese house in the rural areas, you know, there, there's a toilet, and the pigs live below the toilet because, uh, as the Chinese would say, it's the it's the richest of meat, and um, so they played a sanitary role too, of <laughs> of uh, eating human excrement and extracting nutrients out of it, like up to right up to recent times, and probably still practiced and parts of you know of um, China today or Chinese populations um, today but pigs have been very tied to to humans and then also sanitation with you know dead dead animals um, pigs will clean them all up and eat them all up and convert it to, to nutritious protein are there I other or so pigs kind of mm-hmm. this is news to me they Kind of dumb. Well, not. I suppose I knew that part, but they (laughs) domesticated them. That that idea that they kind of domesticated themselves or alongside what humans were doing is that kind Mm -hmm. of the only example as as far as when you look at um, you know food animals today of dogs not getting in. Well, food animals, but (laughs) they are a food animal. Well, I suppose, but they were the Comanche's favorite meal. I think even Sioux, the Sioux Indians too. Speaking in more. In more recent terms, though. In <laughs> Vietnam, they still eat dogs. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but so not talking about dogs. Besi- besides, besides dogs, <laughs> which, which horses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I I haven't eaten either dog or horse, so I might be alone in this apparently. But more more primary uh, food animals are are pigs kind of unique in that sense when you think about cattle or chickens or you know whatever else. Um, I think so. I, think I guess the difference u- being very unique. We, where we correct manually or very um, deliberately domesticated. Sure. The other um, species is that yeah is that the fair to say major food animal species. Yeah. So what, I guess in general, what we didn't even really give an intro, mm-hmm. but what we're talking about now, if you haven't caught on, is this whole idea of um, mm-hmm. you know of of playing with or tampering with or bending animals and plants and in agriculture um, throughout history um, and how it relates to, you know, today uh, when you hear buzzwords about like GMOs or um, genetic engineering, um, I think giving a little perspective that, that uh, this has been going on for a long time, ever since, like you said earlier, ever since Moses came off the mountain, we've been, playing with this type of thing and trying to get animals to behave in a way that's more cooperative for what we're trying to do. Yeah, and produce more, yeah. be more prolific. I mean, all the traits we're interested in, you know, longevity, um, reproductive fecundity, um, you know, disease resistance, growth. We're very interested in, in protein, meat. So if they can grow faster and be fatter and bigger, we're interested in that, and then docility, right? We want them docile. We don't want to, we don't want the, you know, to turn around and get eaten by the. You trip over on your way back to the house, and the and the pig eats you. <laughs> <laughs> so we tend to get rid of the aggressive ones. Yeah, you know, and uh, but so they, these are all the sort of traits that that have benefited, and then milk production. Like you can't underestimate the value of milk nutrition that it's given. I mean. 
And milk wasn't natural. You know, you think about us as hunter and gatherers. We weren't, we're not even born to be um, tolerant to milk. We have a lactose intolerance. And, and by the benefit of, like when we're neonates, this, there's some way, maybe Tommy, you know, we, but we can suppress that um, sort of allergic reaction to lactose when we're very young, like infants being mm-hmm. breastfed. And, and um, but as a testament to our selection, um, we wanted to drink milk from camels and cows, and and uh, over time, especially coming out of Europe. Now, Europe, people with European descendants, we've we've adapted um, to be lactose tolerant now, which was completely foreign to us. So mm. we've, you know, we've sort of domesticated ourselves all the way down to the gene level um, to be tolerant to milk. People with <laughs> Western genetics, whereas. Mm. People with Asian genetics, well, it's, it's Western and Africans uh, also, they the same, but Asian people are, are largely intolerant to lactose even, you know, as adults. Mm. And so there's a good example of thousands of years of like just sticking to it. It's like we want to drink milk <laughs> so bad that we'll put up with being crook and sick and but until we oh, yeah. get it right and then we get our, I suppose, some epigenetic effect. You know, that's interesting. Yeah, it's completely it's fairly interesting. It's, it's switched because there still is a lot of people that are intolerant, but yeah, it's definitely in the the minority mm-hmm. today. Yeah, it's a, just an example. And then, but to pick up on that point too, like Richard Dawkins, you know, he's very famous, but he, you know, he makes the case that there is nothing. You know, man has been. We've been turning wolves into Pekingese dogs, lap dogs. You know. Um, mm-hmm. for for so long and um and there's not a there isn't anything food there is no food that that that's immune to us exerting genetic pressure on them to mm-hmm. change them um a lot so, of so, vegetables so, there's something like eight eight vegetables come from one plant like broccoli cabbage you know um oh what's those things that we hate to eat those <laughs> brussels sprouts and but you wouldn't even <laughs> recognize the parent of them mm-hmm. You know, or even corn. You know, it's like some minuscule little grain that we've, you know, we've bred and selected to be magnificent. Is it safe to say that the the issue stems from we've just gotten hyper efficient in some regards to it, and people are more aware of how fast the genetic engineering can occur now? You know, even um, breeding plants takes a long time, and that's an accepted way of improving yields and um, being more tolerant to things. But now we can add in um you know bt corn and um and add in actual uh genetic material from bacteria that ends up you know expediting a process that may take may have taken hundreds of years you know to develop this to get to the same point that you can now do by just plugging that in and having insect resistant crops and um Mm -hmm. is it just the pace at which it's progressed that gives some of the pause for people or is it just all uh, back to a episode one where we talked a lot of not a lot hinted on how definitions um are a big part of it and gmo seems to have negative connotation just comes to, from somewhere and i don't know if it's uh if it's just the rate at the, which it has progressed yeah but just hold that thought just to clarify for people that might not know in in really simple terms how does gmos how does that relate to what we are talking about with this evolutionary and co- um, domestication. What what is that connection there? Just in, in, to summarize it, Tommy. 
Well, I would say it's just, say, if you're doing the, the wolves example, that took a long time to get that to dog. Mm-hmm. Genetic materials being selected for and um, prioritized for the traits that we want. By breeding. By Saying, breeding. Breed this yep. really tame wolf with this other one yep. and hope the offspring are a little tamer. Right. Okay. And now there's just, um, and you'll be able to speak better on this specific, um, like the technologies that go into, but genetic modified organisms today is... I think expediting that process of manipulating the genetic material and the code to be what we want to still show the phenotypic traits of what we would like to see, what, you know, is actually observed in the animal or the plant that we're um, manipulating. The The end goal is uh, just quicker to get to that. Sure. And so I think it, that maybe, I don't yeah. know if that's clear yep, No, that's great. I, I, yeah. I and to clarify, so. I most the, of this happens in the plant world, right? So far in the genetic modification or are we seeing it in livestock too like where you actually i suppose that gets into crispr and that sort of thing but when you say gmos that's typically talking about plants crops right right and that's part of the it's good it's good that you ask that because part of the problem is the language again genetically modified organism it's it's a it's it's really a useless definition it's too broad it's very non-specific so what we've been talking about our ancient breeding uh, pressure and techniques by selecting that's modifying the organism you know over time you start with the wolf and then you end up with a chihuahua you know that's a lot of selective pressure so you've modified the organism um, and then another one is like ancient technology is grafting you know for fruit trees mm. and, and I think even with like uh, viticulture with gra- with grapes but certainly with fruits, you know, you cut uh, uh, this grafting is thousands of years old, where you cut off the branch, a living branch of this tree, and then you, and then you, and then you make a cut into a a, 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 a different tree, and then you tape it and tie it onto that, so the flesh is touching the flesh, and it'll grow there, and then you get, you know, you can produce different um, uh, fruits and. And uh, from the from those grafted trees, so you're you're exchanging genetic information between the two, and we've been doing that for thousands of years, and it's still a good mm. technique that's applied today. So it's kind of a progression to your point, Tommy. So we started just with with um, you know selection by basically by killing and culling unwanted traits and. Mm-hmm. Um, and ensuring the ones that we want get to survive and get to breed and procreate. Mm-hmm. Then we move to us exerting like physical um, introduction of genes sharing, maybe like grafting is a good one. And then we come to like in the 60s we started or 50s, we started uh, mutagene- mutagenesis um, technology by using radiation to bombard seeds. So it is most, it's all been applied to, plants jack mm-hmm. to your point not animals at this sure. point and so this is very crude you just bombard it with radiation and uh, these seeds and then you scramble their genetics and you so you introduce just massive variation and then you just hope that mm-hmm. if you plant you know a, th- a thousand seeds that have all been scrambled by radiation with this is really blunt trauma you know this is just hitting it with a hammer a, you know radioactive hammer Yep. and seeing what the hell sh- you know shakes out and um, but out of that massive uh, forced variation you you know you do get a couple of winners and then we take them and then we further breed them so that's what we've been doing so that's really crude 
but we've been at it and and people didn't sort of mind that too much even the even the greenies today they're not really aware of it and they think that all of that mutagenous mutagenicity forced by radiation is sort of a they're not they're not aware of it um, but now we're down to you know fine tuning using very high precision things like what's called talons technology and um, and uh, CRISPR where we can use you know gene editing very specifically um, mm-hmm. so it's been a trajectory you know um, and and, a, it, and it will continue you know would a uh, maybe a well known um, well at least well known to us maybe because mm-hmm. probably because you've talked about it um, example be that golden rice yeah. is that uh, is that right golden rice Mm-hmm. Wait, mm-hmm. That's, Rice, yeah. um, but an example of yeah. inserting a specific, what is that? Explain golden rice. Oh, golden rice is the, they took, you know, the uh, 20 years ago, but they wanted to introduce, um, to st- the goal was to prevent blindness in, um, in the underdeveloped world. Children, there's, you know, millions of young children are affected and go blind every year from vitamin A deficiency. And um, and the precursor to vitamin A is something called beta-carotene. A lot of these children die too. I, I, I don't know the numbers, but tens of thousands of, maybe hundreds of thousands of die from vitamin A deficiency. It's so cruel. And um, But their staple of their diet is rice, and rice is white, and it doesn't have any beta-carotene in it. Carotene is a carotenoid, which gives it the orange-yellow color. And Anyway, these great researchers, uh, Switzerland and German, a, a guy, uh, two guys, they um, they biofortified rice by inserting, breeding in. I think they took it from dandelions, you know, the flower mm. on their lawn that that you try and hit with Roundup or 2,4-D to get rid of it. <laughs> but that orange in dandelions is carotene, that pigment. Sure. Same in butter, carotene. Sure. And um, or in oranges or carrots. Anyway, they took the gene that gives the carotene gene from dandelions and inserted it into rice, and then were able to breed it. And so it's incorporated, and you end up with this beautiful golden rice that's vitamin A, or for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes, vitamin A fortified. Um, and now you feed it to children in the poor these poor countries of the world that have rice, you know, two three times a day, and it can take care of their of their um, deficiency and take care of their blindness and and ultimately reduce their mortality. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's just a beautiful use of mm-hmm. technology, breeding technology to help people. And an and example of that uh, happened in mm-hmm. the course of a couple of years. I don't know how many, but mm-hmm. versus if you had to figure out how to breed oh, that in there through right you know so that i think that's the the point we're mm-hmm. trying to make is, it is you can accomplish the outcomes but better of you know what we've mm-hmm. already been doing for mm-hmm. thousands of years and do something like that in the matter, matter of several years um and have you know profound real impacts so with that you know oh, you look like you're gonna and, say um, yeah and most things just quickly have trade-offs uh, mm-hmm. this one and there's a couple examples similar to it, but seems to be a, just, you know, a, a very much a win-win sort of mm-hmm. solution too, because it doesn't, my understanding, it doesn't affect yields in a negative way. So it's not displacing a healthier beta-carotene infused rice for 
that maybe grows you know less efficiently than the standard rice. I think it's uh, equivalent on its yields. Is that correct? Do you do you know yeah, if it is? It's um and it's just being you know approved to be to be grown and farmed. But yeah, the yields are in principle are very good. But they'll only get better. You know, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that Tommy? Is they now they select more around this golden rice. Right. So you can expect it to become more um, salt tolerant, more um, saturation, like um, flood tolerant, more drought tolerant, you know, more resistant to um, fungus, as example, or something like diseases, you mm-hmm. know, um, as they as now they can keep, you know, it's continuous improvement. But at least they got the base, you know, um, the base. Um, into the market now in some countries, and to some people, the the trade off would it seems to be perceived as it's um, not as safe or um, healthy for you with some of these GMO products. And so, if we stick on this example, it's um, you know that that doesn't seem to be a, a fair argument, but that seems to be what at least it's been fronted with as to why it hasn't been um, you know approved in some countries for utilization of it is that it's yeah well Greenpeace has been the you know we mentioned it last time but Greenpeace is a is a t- absolutely immoral um, anti-human um, you know so-called uh, charity or you know uh, environmental <laughs> group. But they've um, but they've led the way on holding up golden rice for twenty years, and they, you know, in my mind, they've had, they've got a lot of blood on their hands, you know, from preventing this getting to the, um, to be used and and consumed by people that, you know, desperately need it. But is um, that is it them saying because it's not I think known it, to be safe? Yeah. So to what consume? is the in other like, is that, words? What is the why is there this pushback? If this is right, this is one example, but we could go down yeah. the list of many, many examples of similar in nature. But yet, I made a salad. Uh, don't be ashamed of me. I made it with some beef uh, the other night, and on the Good the point. bag, it you know <laughs> right on the front of it, it's got the badge for non-GMO project verified. Like so, what is this? This mm-hmm. like this. Uh, mentality that GMOs are something to be avoided if you know here we're looking at this example that I it would be hard to imagine somebody saying this is a bad plan it it's built around this uh yeah it's really it's really difficult to get your head around at what seems to be so obviously good mm-hmm. but there's a big backstory to it you know it's all built around well ultimately there's a lot of money at stake sure you know, these, I don't know, they're maybe hundreds of millions of dollars that they can raise every year for these environmental groups, which Green hit, Greenpeace is one of the most well-known around the world. But it's a big business. And um, and and they've played on the, this fear of being unnatural. And I guess that's what we're trying to get at at the start of this is mm-hmm. us breeding, uh, you know, and selecting and breeding is natural. You know, that's human ingenuity and um and adapting our environment like forever and but they've played it as being unnatural and unsafe and um they've seen golden rice as being i think has been very threatening to them because prior to that it was like we're using gmos to like to um well as you mentioned tommy to to prevent uh european um Bora, right? Worm borer and corn is example, yeah. or to to um, be herbicide tolerant, you know, for right. for corn or soybeans, and 
And for things that weren't so immediately um, beneficial to humans, like blindness and death of humans being prevented. So I think Greenpeace, they didn't want, they didn't want, they, they probably saw the approval of golden rice as being like a um, the opening of the doors to to like having mass adoption of GMO like with goodwill, and so they didn't they wanted to stop it at all costs, so that um so that it didn't it doesn't destroy this house of cards they've built around GMOs being unhealthy and not good for people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was like the hill they want to die on. They sure. decided, you know, but their Trojan horse was human health. Yeah, is it was a concern for uh, they pushed fear as uh, like that these products would be less healthy potentially, even though their motives underlying that are what you've been explaining. Yeah, but is that how it got? That's it. Mass exactly. Adaptation they built of, their whole. They built this whole industry around. Um, you know, non-GMO certified, which is also a billion-dollar industry in the world to Mm -hmm. certify, you know, bullshit products like water as being (laughs) non-GMO. It doesn't have a (laughs) strand of DNA in it, but they've paid to have their bottle of water or their Himalayan salt, as Mm -hmm. example. No, there is no DNA or gene um, genome in uh, salt, but they've got the, you know, they've got this butterfly non-GMO certificate that they have to pay for, mm-hmm. you know, ka-ching, ka-ching, on every loaf of bread, on every mm-hmm. pack of salt, on every bottle of water that has this. I mean, it's a, it's a, big, it's a big filthy business um, that they, they, they built it up on fear that anything with GMOs is unnatural. Therefore, it shouldn't be trusted and it's, and it's not healthy for you and, it, and it's not good for the environment. And... So when you get that much, when you build an empire around that, you're very, you're very worried about getting the, um, getting the legs pulled out mm-hmm. from under you. And GM and golden rice is like, Pulling I think it curtain. scared the shit out of them. Sure. Yeah. What about the um, when I one thing I have heard um, time and time again is the you used an earlier you mentioned an earlier example that prior to the golden rice where that's adapting, you know up product that's intended to be fed to humans but you mentioned like um, herbicide resistant and pesticide resistant roundup ready corn you know we're mm. right we're familiar with that um am i saying that right roundup ready corn yeah, roundup <laughs> um, ready beans yeah yep. any of that but what about the so the argument or the people that say because of these um crops that are resistant to it now the crops are just being doused in Roundup and pesticides, and that pesticide is, you know, you're eating it. By eating GMO products, you're eating pesticides. Um, is that, I imagine you've seen and heard this type of thing. There's, I imagine the other side of this, there's like pretty measurable thing, claims. Like, so it's funny that like a lot of this would have to be able to be proven or disproven with, with science. And so why is that such a, commonly um, stated thing is there any truth to it that we're by eating gmo crops you're putting yourself at risk of eating pesticides and herbicides well again it's great good question I, i could back up and just say again like everything is gmo anyway so we we need to get the fear out of it the language um, you and you know you and I we we are all as humans. I think we're something like eight percent of our 
eight percent of our genome is 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 from viruses. Mm. Yeah, so we are part virus. We are we are like a symbiote, you know, a creature ourselves. And um, there's a whole bunch of uh, humans that have Neanderthal genes in us still, you know, from interbreeding before they were um, um, before they were. Um, well, went the way of the dinosaurs, I guess. Um, and there's there's a well-known phenomenon now in genetics, which is called jumping genes or horizontal gene transfer. So it happens, you know, that we we end up with, like all species have got transfer of genes from one to another. Like mosquitoes are great transfers of, of genetic material as they bite, you know, different populations. So jumping genes is well understood so there is no pure um there is no pure species we're all a, we're all a recombinant or a combinant of of many actually so that's number one so we shouldn't be so scared of genetic material mm-hmm. and then to come to your point jack about consuming gmos now there's a I think Alison Van Anneman, if, if I apologize, Alison, if I'm saying your name wrong, but she's a very, I very much like her work out of UC Davis, but she published like what's called the trillion meal study. You know, after a trillion meals of eating GMOs, you know, there hasn't been one reported death or illness as related to GMOs. So the data is just huge about around safety. There is no there is no safety risk to eating foods that own that have you know uh, GMO material mm-hmm. in them at all. And uh, the other thing to think about is if you eat, say, you ate uh, a corn that has uh, BT corn, which almost all corn is what now. What is BT corn? BT corn has got a. Well, Tommy mentioned it before. Yeah, um, maybe the, you can explain that one, Tommy. It's a. It's pretty the, cool. The BT stands for the the bacteria. Um, the name of it. It's I can't remember how to pronounce it. I think Bacillus um, thuringiensis or something yeah, like that. Yep. Yep. Something like that. But the, um, yeah. So BT corn is uh, that um, European um, worm that I can't remember the specific name of that either. But it's uh, able to. What it's do an insect. you know? <laughs> yeah, I know it's called Ask BT. Ask cows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, corn insect bore. resistant. Sure. Basically. So BT corn so is it, resistant to this specific. BT, so the BT is a this microbe or the bacteria is able to produce uh, protein that is um, really really quickly toxic to the 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 worm the corn the corn worm that is mm-hmm. the main issue for detrimental loss on crops okay. and so it's uh, infused into well not infused but it's yeah. GMO product of corn and soybean, and um, those would be the main two, I think, that are BT today. Um, and it, yeah, it basically, once the the worm consumes some of that plant, it will, you know, its gut walls basically cave in, I think, and it dies really quickly. And mm. so it kind of is, a, it so it's so limits defense the mechanism. Yes. Been... And so it limits the use of insecticides because sure. it's basically a built in protectant. Sure. So that's, something people might be surprised to hear because what I had just said is that um, I think there's a population out there that thinks that GMO means that we're just dousing everything in chemicals because it's not going to kill the, you know, it's resistant. So just cover the field and Mm. round up. But you just said that this is an example of being insect resistant naturally. 
you know, without the use of chemicals that actually mm-hmm. would obviously limit the need to spray fields and that sort of type of preventative measures. Yeah, yeah it does. It eliminates your need to spray it for the, you know, corn borer um, because it's it, we impregnate the corn yeah. genetic with its own insecticide that we, that that we borrowed we took from these bacteria <laughs> and um so it's very clever and it's and it's very good for the environment like to yeah. your point and it reduces costs yep. for the farmer uh, pesticide use and it also and fuel use and it has increases yields um, tremendously so now we can use less land to grow more and more food security and 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 then it also has um, has the benefit of you know being obviously more resistant but you can rely on it more to have you know better yields than more predictable than year it, over year yeah. yeah it moves the needle you know on um, mm-hmm. actual like it's not saving it's not one percent or two percent less insecticide sure. use. It's something quantifiable. It might be twenty percent. It might yeah. be even higher than that. I can't remember the paper. I was just looking at it that has a a number there, but it's um quite significant. Yeah. Um, so it's I think that's probably yeah. It's a not known or underappreciated upside to it is the um, insecticide spraying mm. sparing that it offers. Yeah, so that's it, I mean it's kind of news to or a good reminder to me and potentially news like i've never really thought of it from that angle it's um yeah and there's and the other thing to remember too is like see because we don't want to conflate the two things but one is like the use of um you know pesticides to to control pests and then herbicides to control weeds you know Mm -hmm. they're both they're both chemicals with different targets. Mm-hmm. You know, one is to target organisms that are that are pests to us, destroying our crops, and um, and fungicides are another to 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 attack the rusts and the fungus that destroy our crops. And the third would be the herbicides, which destroy the weeds that are competing with our crops for nutrients and moisture. Mm-hmm. And so, when you think about it like that, it's like we're doing everything we can to improve the food security by using these tools uh, without any safety, you know, I mean, without safety concerns, meaning that all of these are well proven. I mean, anything that makes it to the market in terms of a fungicide or a herbicide or a pesticide is like, it has to undergo unbelievably rigorous, you know, testing for toxicity and and um, what they call like LD50s, you know, lethal dose 50. And um, so so they're very well understood compounds and are extremely safe. And yet the benefits are just like, we, you know, there's, the benefits are so staggering that we've become so um, complacent about them. <laughs> yeah. But if you've got to compete with weeds, you're going to lose half your moisture, your rainfall goes to the weeds, you know they'll strangle out your crops. They'll suffocate. The, you know, and then you got and then you got yield problems, and um, and, and then even and when you, you try to harvest, you've got a mess of weed and target crop, and now you lose more. So it's a disaster. And then the and then how are you going to control weeds? Like the back, we're going to go back to Mesopotamia and hand the women all a all a hoe and a 
a shovel and have them walk up and down the crop and dig up the weeds. You know, is that what we're going to go back to? <laughs> or we're going to mechanically, like the organic farmers say, oh, we got to org- we got to cultivate, you know, by hand to control weeds. Well, that's not all. That's not perfect either. You have to let you let the weeds grow so they suck up a lot of moisture and nutrients. And then you go in there and you till the land, so now you lose moisture, and you release more carbon. And you and if you're going to use in topsoil erosion, and then if you're going to use machines to do it, well, now you're burning more diesel. And that's a that's an important point, I think, right there is the um, the the soil effect too that um, people are talking about a lot is the carbon sequestration effect of soil, mm-hmm. and this no-till is now very common and promoted, and that's in large part due to um, you know, being able to use these Roundup Ready crops where you can um, not ha- you can rely on that to take care of a lot of the weed load, whereas tilling would typically have been to turn over the weeds and push them back under and some of the pests refresh it to get less competition for when the crop's actually planted. Okay, now you've got this GMO product that's the glyphosate-resistant crops that are able to now grow and be sprayed the Roundup Ready Roundup on it and you then can leave the soil more intact, and that's better from an environment standpoint too. And so I think it's uh, the the positive outcomes, you know, it, it's not exponential, but it's something where there's more um, unintended, even positive outcomes from mm-hmm. it that don't even really get thought about when it's talked about. Um, I think that's an interesting point too is the, is, yeah, kind of secondary benefits that have stemmed from it mm-hmm. on top of, just limiting in weeds and labor usage and things like, or labor expenses that would have gone into it are reduced as well. And so it's, yeah, I think that's, that's interesting. But back to your point from a while ago, you had mentioned the, um, are people dousing more and more Roundup? Uh, And I'm opening up this conversation because I don't know. I've, I've seen it being talked about more though. There was something recently that came out just recently, like a couple of weeks ago, maybe. Yeah. For being consumed. Yeah. And and, and, and something like, I don't know. Joe Rogan shared something about it. Yes, uh, you know, um, as did many people. But that it was the a study that, like, it was in X human. percent of. Yeah, some. Oh, I should. That's pull that up, that was, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, where the hell's Jamie? <laughs> well, I think the the you know if there's residue of glyphosate being consumed, um, the levels are low, and um, and they're not harmful. To I mean, this is the. You know, this is the beauty of of um, of our harnessing chemistry. You know that we that we can build compounds that are safe to us, and and yet can uh, be lethal to the species that we're that we're targeting. You know, to 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 kill and control. Mm-hmm. And um, the, it probably plays into your LD fifty comment too, right? That is yeah. that the yeah, like like Roundup is uh, okay. We could have a whole podcast on Roundup, which is glyphosate. Just so for listeners, if they're wondering what the mm-hmm. what we're talking about, and Tommy mentioned um, uh, Roundup Ready, and so Roundup is you know what you're using in probably at home when you want to get rid of some weeds in your garden or whatever, and and um, and farmers are using it, you know for. I don't know, for maybe 30, 40 years. It's been probably the most spectacular uh, herbicide. Well, it is. It's the most spectacular herbicide that's contributed the greatest good to humankind uh, ever. 
you know, but it's demonized because Monsanto used to produce it before Bayer brought it, and and um, it's been the whipping boy. And then and then there was this big lawsuit that came out of California for um, cancer causing of glyphosate, which is it's the more you look into that, that's just a big crock. I mean, it's unbelievable that they've they were able to hijack this, you know, great um, chemical compound that saved, I don't know how many millions and millions of lives, you know, by, by allowing us to produce more food. And it's been tremendous for the environment too, you know, like um, in allowing us to farm less acres and get more crop and leave more land for, for nature and, and for the environment. So it's been a, it's a real travesty on it. The other thing about pesticides, they're, they're so demonized, but you have to remember that every bite of food, every plant that you've ever eaten, when you, when you eat an apple or a tomato or a banana, or you take the peel off the banana, but, you know, plants are loaded with pesticides, you know, the surface of them are great mm-hmm. because they're at war constantly with insects and with bacteria and fungus. So they secrete pesticides like crazy, you know. And um, and so we are, whether you know it or not, you're eating every time you eat anything, um, any plant, you know, that's unprocessed from a lettuce or a cabbage to a tomato or a grape, um, you know, or an apple, you know, you're, you're consuming a ton of pesticides that are naturally produced. <laughs> and... Um, and that doesn't bother us because these are plant, you know, well, again, we've evolved with all of these plants, food edible plants, so we're tolerant of them. Mm. And, um, and we digest them and they have no harm, you know, to us. So we, we shouldn't be so scared of the idea of, you know, using pesticides and that they can be safe. Yeah. I found the article that you're... You did? The, uh, the headline. The glyphosate. Yeah, quote, disturbing. Weed killer ingredient tied to cancer found in 80% of U.S. urine samples. It, that was, Good. is that the one that you're referring to? That means you're getting it out of your body. There you go. <laughs> but, I think that's what I was, yes, that's what I saw too, and I, I haven't had a chance to really look into it. Yeah, well, sorry well, if I was listening. I thought we are going to have yeah. an awesome sh- rebuttal to it, but we'll have to <laughs> no. look into it. But point being, it's like there's more to it than that. People see that headline. And, yeah, well, they look. This this is so sensational. This is, should have been thrown out. This is the IARC. It's a UN government. It's a it's a part of the UN, and um, they have a they have like a um a, a mission to 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 try and demonize Roundup and get rid of it. And maybe it's related to the UN. Um, you know, not wanting to use, um, you know, progressive technology in food production or whatever, but there's sort of a mission behind it. So they they developed this committee to look into, and the Genetic Literacy Project, that's someone who we follow, I think you follow too, you should check it out there. They've written series of investigative documented articles about this cancer research that they went on, I mean, this cancer lawsuit and in the positing that uh, Roundup causes cancer. Well, every agency of the world of any repute, you know, the FDA, the EU, EU scientific committees, the Australia, New Zealand government, governments all around the world have all looked at Roundup or glyphosate 
uh, safety, toxicity data, and genomutagenicity data, and found it's perfectly safe. You know, well, Parcellus, or who is the Roman Greek, who's the like the father of medicine? He said the dose is in the, you know, the poison is in the dose. So mm-hmm. of course, if you, I mean, you, you know, water will is toxic at some point, or, you know, or bananas are toxic at some point. Especially mm-hmm. if you eat the peels. Yeah, especially if you eat the peels. <laughs> Have you seen the, uh, the side note, the uh, the vegan cooking um, tutorials of how to make banana peel bacon? No, wash your mouth <laughs> out. Um, I have seen Sean, that. Sean Baker, uh, shout out. He, I think he's the one who shared that. But um, Are they strong enough but, to even peel a banana? <laughs> I didn't see him peel it. It might have come pre-peeled. But, but just as a, isn't that ironic that that's what we're talking about is the most toxic you know, and here they are trying to turn it into bacon. Yeah. But uh, I digress. What were we? I couldn't <laughs> well, anyway, resist. It was so the, absurd. The bottom line is this international agency for research on cancer. It's called the IARC. It's a crock. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that's the bottom line. That's <laughs> the bottom line. I mean, it's so bad that they even they even had data that was um, that proved it was contrary to their conclusion that they're and they did all their work in rodents they didn't do it in humans mm. and um and um anyway they they even they sat on data that proved that uh, glyphosate you know didn't it was didn't cause cancer in fact there was some work that showed that it had a protective effect but see they cherry picked the data and then one of the lead authors who lead author who was on this committee actually did a study to to prove that glyphosate was safe and and he buried the study for 2 years um didn't publish it and so it was it's very dubious the whole thing and um and then in this and then when they court awarded a 2 billion dollar fine lawsuit award to a couple in California for um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma um two billion dollars so it's a huge judgment and and in that court proceeding they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't even allow the admission of exculpatory data exculpatory meaning that would clear you know Mm -hmm. glyphosate of any um wrongdoing let's say they wouldn't allow it in this in this court some radical you know judge or whatever anyway you just have to trust me on this. You can go do your own <laughs> look at it. Genetic Literacy Project, go sure. check it out. It's a it's a travesty what they've done to this amazing, amazingly safe um, product. You know, and they did the same thing early on with it's called the Seralini study where they tried to prove that um, GMOs cause cancer. So it's kind of a playing off the old same old hymn book, um, and that was done in France France by Seralini. And that was another hoax thing or another setup where they tried to feed GMO foods to rats and caused all these cancers. It's since been rejected from journals because they found out it was um, it was so shoddy and so the bias was, you know, like it was baked in. They used uh, the, the, the mice uh, that they used in the study were or have been genetic, I mean, had been selected to, to grow tumors. <laughs> and nice. So now they raised these mice and they got tumors and they said that this is caused by GMOs. Truly, Seralini, look that up as well hmm. while you're That's, at it. Yeah, it goes, that goes against 
any scientific method, it has the end goal in mind while conducting yeah. the study. Isn't also just to zoom out, get a little perspective on this. Let's say that even if you know these glyphosate, if mm-hmm. it did cause cancer, yeah. you know the levels at which, like setting aside all the data, just for the sake of the argument, let's say it does cause cancer, and what is it? The tiny, tiny percent of people that get cancer. It's forgetting the, like we're not even looking at the bigger picture, and that's not even the case, but the bigger picture that what is the benefit that it's bringing like in in like right the cost trade-off benefit and again this isn't saying that it is causing cancer but even if it was causing it in like really really a small 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 amount of cases the like the yeah. upside of it yeah right so that a- that's what i in other words it's not like we're people are fighting or we're trying to kind of bring light to something that has a trivial impact on the world you know, or yeah. in populations, it's like, you know, if it was kind of a one-to-one thing yeah. of like one person gets to eat and the other gets cancer, then it's... Well, that's right. It's the precautionary principle. There's several things at play. I think they one is they want the judgment to be like, so they can do what they did on Joe Rogan's show. They can say weed killer, notice weed killer, not human killer, but weed killer mm-hmm. found in human urine and so be scared. You know, and and be scared that you're going to get cancer. I mean, it's so bad. But they want to. They want to. It's just glyphosate or Roundup is convenient now. But the next will be the next herbicide, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. next insecticide. This is the goal: is to remove all technologies and get us back to some called so-called natural natural food uh, production, uh, which doesn't exist, as we tried to explain at the start of the show. Uh, this, the discussion, you know, who's mm-hmm. big question, but who's they? What we're saying is the, always a, is the ENGO environmental, um, organic, um, it's the, it's the, it's these groups of people that have, have incorporated this belief system into be, you know, a big part of their life. Do you um, think their motive is that it's that, that it's a big part of their life or is it this house of cards that you, you know, we mentioned or like trying to think you know what what is the utility of trying to shape these studies and and kind of push this safe technology out what is the benefit to them is it money is it well power what i'm trying to yeah, connect it well, here certainly it's, there's a lot of money to be at play like you know you think about the um in europe and the u.s and now all around the world just the organic market you know, you could conservatively say you go into a grocery store, it's 40% more you pay for anything organic. Like, it's big business. And um, and after, you know, after paying your mortgage, like food is like your second biggest expense for, like, people of the world. Um, or it's, it's in the top two or three expenses that you'll ever have. Is your food so? There's a, there's billions of dollars at play mm-hmm. to keep this going, and the food processors, the food marketers, companies, you know, this is a way for them to value add. Like sure. it's seriously important to them to carve out this growing niche of organic food because it allows right. them to right and that's make a shitload more money on it. The niche is the important part because it mm-hmm. implies there's so much room to grow if indeed they can stop. A lot of these conventional, widely adopted methods that naturally will, I shouldn't use the word natural there, <laughs> that will grow the mm-hmm. organic and natural sectors 
And if they have that huge premium tacked onto it, yeah, sure. I think so. Trying to grow their market share. They but, yeah, still isn't down. all that clear to me. It probably is some of the NGO stuff and um, the yeah. different activist groups, but money I would, is always seems to be behind Follow the any money. motive. Yeah, mm-hmm. money and then, but then also, you know, a lot of young people are drawn to the environmental movement, you know, because they have this, you call, you know, we all go through this, what you call messianic phase, where we're, it's like in your 18 to 26 or something before you get too jaded with life. But you, you know, you have this messianic, I'm going to save the world. Like it's mm-hmm. a, it's a true epiphenomenon that people go through. Mm-hmm. That's why you see a lot of people, young people gravitate. They're desperately searching for something meaningful. And this, you know, and this food thing is sort of meaningful to them. It's like a David Goliath thing. It's a, you know, it's a, a romanticization of mm-hmm. something, you know, we're, we uh, we believe in you know treating animals better and healthy and better food and you know it's natural this natural sort of has become a religion it's like a shamanistic type thing mm-hmm. um, along that same line of thinking it almost always equals more environmentally friendly to them too um, yeah right it's and tied that's up in where that. a lot of the argument can fall apart too I don't know if we yeah. want to divert into that at all or not on this yeah one, well the greatest uh, irony is to farm organically you know, is a, is the worst thing you can do for the environment. That's the terrible irony. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it takes more land, you grow less, so you raise food prices as well, so the poor suffer. But you can't grow shit, so now you got to farm twice as much to get, as you know, half as much. Mm-hmm. Now you're taking land away from the butterflies and the, and the, and the tree squirrels and the... And the um, what else is nice? Rabbits, <laughs> right? And so now we're doing what else that. Is nice. Yeah, we got two Our animals tree. down. And now Why you are got tree butterflies squirrels and, so high yeah, on your list. I've <laughs> never even thought they, of a tree squirrel. Are they different than other squirrels? Yeah. yeah. Now your food is contaminated with you know like with tree squirrels, free range eggs that covered in salmonella and whatever, <laughs> and um. <laughs> And they you know, and your crops are all, and your fruit is all bitten by thirty insects, and so now you've stimulated your apple to produce pesticide like freaking crazy. Um, so now you're eating a lot more, and the food is damaged, so it's you know you have less of it. And mm-hmm. I mean, using GMO, we can we can imbue shelf life, so the oxidation or the deterioration of you know, foods has slowed down. So there's just so many things that it hurts the environment with. Um, but that sure seems to be part of the the story is that it, it does oh. seem to be to these people directly tied to um, the, oh, it's a, it's a win-win to them yeah. in their eyes, oh, which, you know, and, and with some respect, there's no, nothing clearly telling them that that isn't the right way to be thinking about it either. And so to the, no fault of some of their own, like they they have old. that thought process yeah. because they genuinely think and believe that that's how it actually is. And Correct. It's an appealing. I mean, it sounds it's, so it's nice. A, like why, Who doesn't why want wouldn't you want squirrels? to do? Yeah. It, See, they won't even allow, um, it's this is how, this is how it's become sort of when, when you have something detached from reality, like, it's sort of then it takes on sort of a religious aspect where you've just got to have faith. Mm-hmm. And so, as example, the organic movement, you know, they they ban the use of of useful um, chemicals that we talked about already. 
So, you know, and glyphosate is an old compound, so there's new ones that will come and mixtures of different ones that should be adopted. Like we, It's like the Red Queen, you know, and she can never stop running in Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. right? You, if you stop running, you're going to fall behind. So you, you have to run forever with science. It's the same with antibiotic resistance. You know, we have to run forever to stay ahead of microbes. It's the same on disease and pest. We have to run, run forever, forever, you know, inventing and modifying compounds to protect us um, in this per, in this perennial war. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a forever war. Is there a thought, do you think, that by, like, instead of running to keep ahead, like, just get out of that race? Like, is that what people yeah, are thinking? Yeah, I think but naively to your point, it's like that, To Jack. your point where it's not grounded in reality. It's yeah. this faith, like this just going to will it to happen. Yeah, so right, so we get out of it and then we're and now we have 7.6 billion people and we and and in your lifetime, you know, there'll be 9.6 billion, two more Chinas coming, you know, mm-hmm. in the next 30 years. And so what are we going to do? We're going to we go back to that organic old style of low yield farming and and we'll be able to support like what two and a half mm-hmm. billion people. So just who is it we're going to get rid of? Yeah, you know, that's where the that's the nutty little crux of the issue. Yeah. Like, and who the hell's going to be able to afford the food? And we can't grow enough to. And we're gonna, and we're going to and we're going to tear down every forest and every mountain veto, mm-hmm. uh, meadow to try and grow some something that we can get food out of. You know, so, so this is the yeah. this is the hidden tragedy of it. Yeah. And then but the other the thing too that's... is in the organic, they're they're using chemicals, but they're using like we laughed before about blunt force trauma. You know, when when every problem you see is a nail, and if you've got a hammer, rather, they're only you know every problem's a nail. Well, so they're they're hitting you know for for control of pests, they're using copper sulfate, which is an old old. I mean, the Greeks first started using it. Well, it kills everything. Copper sulfate. You know, and it stays in the soil forever. Like it doesn't, it never evaporates or you can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Well, How that's that what better? they apply it to, you know, as, as an approved compound in organic farming. Mm. So they're very naughty what they, what they allow, you know, and they don't talk about it though. And then mm-hmm. they, they allow BT, that bacterial spray, that you, um, bacterial compound that kills the corn borer. They spray crops they're allowed to with bt mm. on one hand they say oh you can't eat a crop because it's got bt inserted into the genetics but then they can spray the hell out of it the crop <laughs> with that you mm. know um so it's very ambiguous and then it's supposed to be organic but you're not allowed to feed you know many organic compounds like organic minerals you're not allowed to feed but you can feed inorganic minerals so it's it's very <laughs> It's very um, mixed up and confused. It's no, there is no good rationale um, to it, other than, other than at the heart, there's a, an ideology that sort of got hijacked. You know, that's really, I think it's, it's kind of got hijacked there, this ideology, and then, it, which is fine because if people want to pay more for whatever they want to have, you know. Yeah, fruit that's half eaten by insects before you get to eat it. If that's what they want and pay a lot more for it, then it's like great. 
but don't make that policy so yeah. that we can't yeah. feed the rest of the world. I think that'll be a, I mean, that's kind of a central theme, I mm-hmm. would imagine, emerging. We mentioned in our first podcast, but this isn't to say that you can't have that. No, but no, it's to go say for that it. you can't, what it is to say is that you can't tell us to not have the technology. You can't force everyone to right. go that route. And that's where it becomes an issue. Like, I personally prefer my apples not half eaten, but like you said, if. <laughs> no, I, I just, but it I think the seemed, point's landing. Yeah, and it's, it seems to be a one-way street, that argument, too, where Correct. conventional or abundance egg producers don't, you know, um, what is it, condemn um, mm-hmm. organic practices, or um, but it does seem to go the other way, where organic, a lot of people that are in the organic tribe would talk poorly of, sure. of uh, conventional farming or abundance egg farming. Correct. And that game isn't being played out fairly either because on, on one hand you just you do want people to get what it is that they would prefer and there's nothing wrong with that if that if if that happens to be organic that's great you know um, but don't tear down the the you know the the big brother in the process mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's like you can see why I mean they're attacking the one with the market share like, right like the big market share doesn't go after the little segments but yeah. they're getting bigger and more vocal and now um, making their way into policy is, uh-huh. is the big issue. Ultimately. Now you can see, it's interesting, Jack, on that note, now you can see a new one, a newcomer. Um, it's actually an old, an old set of skills that's being dressed up and represented to the market now because, see, organics about maybe has had its run. Yeah, It's going to be done here pretty quick, I think, because too many people have got into it. It's not special enough. And now you can see the new one is called regenerative ag. Yep. Regenerative. Man, is that the new buzzword. Mm. And you watch, Gosh. pretty soon supermarkets like Whole Foods or other leading supermarkets are going to pick up on this. General Mills, big food companies, and they're going to start branding regenerative. And that's going to be your next 40 to 50% price premium. For sure. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. already there in, in the... Is it? I mean, Well, not maybe in the big mm-hmm. markets, but we see it, you know, with... Yeah, like through better fed beef, you yeah. know, in the people. Oh, in sure. The people on in the this, cattle side. Yeah, on the ca- yeah. yeah, sorry, on the cattle side for sure. Mm-hmm. On the beef, I yeah. mean, it's a lot more of these independent, um, private labels and brands. But I mean, regenerative is you like, watch like pretty quick. You're going to have a regenerative uh, label for sure. That people have to pay to put on their products. It's mm-hmm. going to happen. You watch the money is going to be like irresistible. They're going to follow the in the non. NGO, uh, non-GMO butterfly thing, guarantee it. That's where that's yeah. where it'll want to go. Maybe we should give a quick 20, 30 second um, mm-hmm. explanation on what regenerative, what yeah, does that actually for mean it. for? Well, it um, probably means, you know, 30 <laughs> different things to 30 <laughs> different people. You know? Yeah, that's probably the only reason it's not on a, they yeah. can't agree on what no, the hell it is. Yeah, they can't believe dial you, in they'll on be it. working on it. Yeah, you, do you have a good, Summary of it? Do you know? No, no. I'm asking um, oh. Dad if he wants to explain. I don't have a great yeah. Uh, it's it's great tied up with it. this. Uh, um, what I said is a lot, an old set of skills that are being dressed up and taught, you know brought to the prom. Mm-hmm. Um, and the old set of skills are you know I grew up in New Zealand where 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 New Zealand is pretty much the leading nation in the world for grazing technology. Mm-hmm. You know we've been at it forever, um, and um, and have led the way in it. So, and anyway, so back home, it was nothing 
rotational grazing and using high stock density and moving them frequently is like that's a way of life for 60, 80 years in New Zealand and doing budgets for grass growth and grass curves. And like it's so old, this technology, but it's been wrapped up here in America as being something like astounding. And then and then they romanticized it with this guy, Dr. Alan Savory, who's mm-hmm. a famous Zimbabwean. Uh, forgive me, Dr. Savory, if you're not Zimbabwean. And <laughs> turns out you're South African instead, but I believe he's Zimbabwean. And he, he's tremendous. He did a TED talk that like went viral, talking about this idea of like concentrating big ruminants so that they uh, defecate in one spot and move them quickly. It's rotational grazing. Mm-hmm. You know, dressed up with a with elephants and and wildebeest and Cape buffalo, which is very sexy. And um, Cape buffalo, and then yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, and dangerous too. We didn't domesticate them, <laughs> not yet. Anyway, and so now and now they've so they've taken that on board. Where so that's one piece of regenerative, which is this grazing and using ruminant fertilizer manure. Mm-hmm. Okay, to be compressed into the ground and then another piece of it is like um you know low use of um fertilizers Mm. um well okay there is no farmer out there that i know of that ever wants to stay in business that's going to use like excess fertilizer it's too bloody expensive Mm -hmm. you know so and that's where precision ag is like fine-tuning the use of of everything but including fertilizer you know now we've got technology you know, we've got GPS, you run down the with the planter and it's adjusting on the go. Like Seth, you know, you boys, you're, you're a good friend who's an agronomist in South Dakota. Seth will know everything about this. But on the fly, the computers are adjusting nitrogen and potassium and phosphorus and how much they deposit. You know, while this damn planter is running seven miles an hour, it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. spectacular. But regenerative, and, you're saying? Yeah, so regenerative doesn't... puts a big emphasis on fertilizer, sure. you know, minimal, minimalization and maximizing natural ruminant fertilizer, as example. It's funny that Then that's... it's all about the biosphere. Mm-hmm. What's that? Yeah, soil. Uh, it's funny the if one of the concerns is the um, over-applying of um, nutrients, fertilizer to the fields, the manure actually does offer a an imbalance that's unavoidable. So spreading cattle manure, and I don't know if this is the case if you're grazing them or not, but in general, nitrogen volatilizes out of the um, out of the manure and concentrates the um, phosphorus. And so you spread manure on a nitrogen basis. In the process, you end up over providing phosphorus by like four times. Mm. Um, Meaning so, it's not like a good so ration. So the, the balance actually isn't there if you're relying on um, you know cattle manure. Uh, that's mostly talking about it being spread on these fields. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's uh, that the ratio probably changes a little bit from grazing animals, but the point I think still sticks where if you want to be the most precise, yeah. you, you know, you would do the the conventional approach of applying fertilizer as needed using precision farming rather than letting this imbalance of nutrients just drop and yeah. um, rely on that being your, your best approach. Um, also, one sounds more natural than the other, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's better if, um, if the goal is to provide things in the right ratio. Just mm-hmm. to put it out there for those that maybe aren't familiar with cattle, uh, the, act of, the practice of spreading manure is not a new, like that happens on conventional. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not that the, the, the regenerative operations are the only one 
utilizing manure to add nutrients back into the soil. You know, it's right. a very old, like it's it's very right. commonplace. Just so right. so that's stated. Yeah, so well, that's a piece of it, and then the, it's this whole integrated regenerative farming is to integrate these things like the cattle manure mm. um, with uh, with a soil. Um, the health of soil. So there's a big emphasis placed on um, soil uh, biodiversity, yep. mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know, which is um, uh, ostensibly is a good thing, you know, and so they uh, promote that. And then the the building of soil organic matter is a great piece of um, regenerative farming. And then low till, like mm-hmm. you talked about, Tommy, uh, low tillage or no till, is a big piece of it. So that's what I mean. They're, these are all the principles are not new. Like yeah. farmers for so long have been worried about erosion of soils, and so using minimal till, you know, and um, using cover crops mm-hmm. is not new. Jesus, we were using cover crops back home for well, again for 60, 70 years, using brassicas in our rotation, and then using you know. Um, uh, legumes as well in rotation for their um, ability to, you know, fix nitrogen and so. And here, since I mean, since the the dust bowl too, right? Wasn't well, that right? The, yeah, we f- we finally the dust bowl was like the worst, but it taught people a lesson. Did you know in the dust bowl, Oklahoma dirt? There was one of the the biggest storm. It lasted for like ten years, the dust bowl period. But in that book, the worst hard times. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, isn't that amazing? That book. I still remember they were got up, let's call it the Big Filthy. It's got a name for this one storm. The Big Filthy sounds good. But, and they <laughs> that, got up. Is that coming from? Did you just make that up? I just made that up because it sounds so cool. <laughs> Chances that's the real name. But it's something like that. The Big Filthy got up in the air in Oklahoma and it rained mud um, 240, 220 miles off the east coast of Manhattan. Oh. New York Jeez. on boats. Ships were out there, got rained mud on them wow. from this storm that came out of Oklahoma. The big filthy. <laughs> there it is. The big filthy. They, they they estimated there was a, there was as much dirt in that one storm that that was dug out of the whole Panama Canal. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How do you estimate that? That's where you need your that's where you need Lex Fredman. <laughs> <laughs> I assume Lex will listen to this, so. But Lex will figure it out on a, <laughs> yeah, Lex is on for a sure bar listening. napkin. <laughs> Tommy wants us to get back on topic. The, that, is, that is on topic. <laughs> what were we talking about? Yeah, so we Panama destroyed Canal. the we destroyed those great the great American prairie with our crazy, reckless. Um, you know, they said the they said the rain follows the plow. And they this was the government sold it as part of like manifest destiny. It was terrible. Anyway, that's another podcast, but we wrecked all this millions of acres of, of uh, topsoil, fragile to- grasslands that had never, it's called the, you know, the, great, the great savannah of America. What were we trying to do? Grow wheat. Planting okay. wheat when there was an uncharacteristically wet period there when it was actually working to, to grow sure. wheat on these grounds that typically wouldn't sustain it. And then there's... A lot of money to be made in that, so everything got turned into wheat production, and then rain didn't come, wheat didn't grow, and now you're left with bare fields. And this this land had never been broken up in a million years since the glaciers left, you know? Right. And then so... But 
back to your point, the mm-hmm. the the principles of regenerative egg yeah. aren't new, and they are actually things that um, abundance egg adopts and does use. It's just not framed in the same way, I guess. Right. And so it's right. not like the principles are ill intentioned. It's just yeah. the 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 soil health thing has a, a strong following in the regenerative community. And yeah. So what's the difference when we were just hunting in South Dakota and mm-hmm. there's tons of, you know, beautiful black Angus cattle uh, mm-hmm. grazing the pastures. Is that regenerative egg or is there something different fundamentally between those cattle that are, you know, grazing and likely, I'll, I suppose in regenerative, they don't let them go to a feedlot to eat corn, but up mm-hmm. until that point, you know, when they're backgrounding, is that, like, yeah. well, this is where it struggles with the definition. What's the difference between what we saw when we're out, you know, walking for pheasants versus the regenerative uh, claims? Do you know this? Like, real? Um, this isn't rhetorical. I actually don't know if, I don't know the answer. I don't know if I do either, actually, besides that it's kind what of my we point. see out there, it's a lot <laughs> of the, yeah, I mean, these... A lot of what we see out there is cows with calves on them, and so they would be out on pasture. Almost, I mean, you know, a lot of their life would be spent yeah. like that, and so in some regards, it does check the boxes of what it means to be regenerative. It's kind of yeah. Um, my point is that, like they say it, and I think people don't even know what they're signing up for when they say yeah. they're into regenerative well, practices. I think that's the. I think you've hit right on it. It can mean it's it's very loose, and it's yeah. it's more emotion. It's a well, again, there's some principles that are very good to it. Sure. But there is a, like a, in my reading, there's sort of a disdain for synthetic nitrogen. Okay. And um, so I would say that that's a, this is a blind spot for them in this area. Um, they put a huge emphasis on soil, organic matter, and, and um, biodiversity, which how could you argue with any of that? Like... To rebuild soil organic matter uh, from because we're at risk of losing soils always through erosion. So mm-hmm. if you could build back soil organic matter, that's like that's like yes, God wants you to do that. But um, but the problem with them with regenerative ag is that it's probably overrepresented by zealots that are like that are become too religious with it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, I think there's a saying in science, maybe you learned this, Tommy, when you started in your career studying, um, but it's like, you know, exceptional claims need exceptional evidence. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where they're running into some trouble with their claims about how, to, how much soil organic matter they can build back into a farm or a piece of land over, you know, certain uh, number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it's, it, it's beyond incredulous, you know, and, and so, um, so that's one of the areas that, but I think all the principles are good. Correct. It's just like my, the only thing I'm taking umbrage with is that it, it's, that it's being, um, it's in danger of being over-marketed as being something phenomenally new when, like if you take the, the 17 farmers that are all, all raised cattle for better-fed beef, you know, all of them would follow the tenets of regenerative farming. Right. Um, low-till, minimum-till or no-till, mm-hmm. um, use of their cattle manure, capture of it first in mm-hmm. all their effluent right. ponds, and then right. distribution of it according to a 
with their agronomist on a fertilizer plan, turning that into crops that are fed back to cattle. Um, so they'd be they'd be using all of these skill sets um, anyway, including backgrounding cattle on grazing, whatever, um, Jack. And um, but it's just not wrapped up in this marketing thing about regenerative ag. And it's not saying no to any other that technology that come along that can help. Correct. Like it's, it's like why tie a hand up behind your back? Yeah. But there you go. Back. To, I mean, to your point though, that. Do they qualify then as regenerative too? Because that's that's it's the hard a, part. They fit a lot of the, again, they check a lot of the boxes for what yeah. that means. But I think you've, yeah, I think that's a, a good point is that it, at least to me, it doesn't seem clear what it means to actually qualify for that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's a. I think another piece of it too is this whole, we've talked about it before or internally, um, this whole fit for purpose type, that, you know, where are the better fed right. beef farmers that your cattle operations you're talking about? They're not in the, the the Great Plains, you know. They're so right. so. This whole grazing you said it earlier, but like we learned our lesson in the Dust Bowl to never till up the the Great Plains ever again. That needs to be grazed by ruminants forever. Mm-hmm. So, for anyone listening and thinking that that maybe getting the wrong impression that like th- that's nobody's disputing that. Like that's what that land is for. Mm-hmm. But there's other parts of the country and other parts of the world where you can't graze cattle, you know, it's a different uh, environment. And so you grow crops in our case and, and right. feed those back to the cattle and of course crops for everything else too. Yeah. It's like, it's like a fit for purpose is right. Or parsimony is a word for like we have refined a system down to be the most efficient it can be, you know, mm-hmm. based on all its constraints and opportunities, parsimonious. And that's, you know, that's how, um, let's say, abundance ag is is constantly, you know, honing that blade of mm. parsimony. Right. It's like getting the very best out of our, our land, our soil, our environment, mm-hmm. you know, all of these constraints. To your point, I think you could grow, you know, where, let's say, take the Corn Belt region, you could probably grow something there that cattle could graze. But you can't go to where cattle are grazing and grow corn. There you go. And so it it doesn't work that way. There's a big chunk of land that's non-arable that doesn't work for that, and they needs to be not to mention. Then the best use of it is stick a ruminant on it, let them create high quality protein for humans, and that's a very good use of that land because it's not mm-hmm. it's not going to help humans yeah. otherwise. You know. Correct. Yeah, it can't be planted. It can't be. Yeah. So that's almost a. One-way street sort of way of it, yeah. That's just really quick. Tommy's a PhD in ruminant nutrition, but mm-hmm. that's because of upcycling the rumen. Really, give us the 30-second, I'm in an elevator with you. <laughs> uh, what What is, why can cattle graze that and, and we can't plant things? What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so ruminant, they're incredible because they can take low-quality protein sources um, or feedstuffs in general and create high-quality amino acid complexes that turn into proteins for um, and then if we consume that we're getting a protein that like matches meat. our requirements quite high. yeah the, the meat is mm-hmm. really highly nutritious and it matches our amino acid requirements quite nicely sure they so, have bugs in their stomach in the rumen in the four the you know the ruminant has four stomachs the first stomach is the rumen that one has all the bugs the microbes the um, you know the bacteria the fungi that can break down the things that we can't so fiber we can cellulose is the most abundant organic um, compound on earth 
we can't digest that. We can't get nutrients out of that. Feed it to cattle. They can extract the nutrients, put that into their tissue. We eat their tissue. Now we get value out of the cellulose. It has to pass through a ruminant first. Um, And so that's Mm. why they can make use of that land and we can't. So instead of us trying to graze that whatever grows there, the cattle do it and we eat the ribeyes. So. (laughs) <laughs> when, that's like when, a beautiful when, arrangement. Like, who can argue with that? Yeah, yeah. No, there's that's, a, that's there's a cool story is, to be told uh, there, though. With it's needed. It's under. It's necessary to understand that. Ruminants. Yes, you know that it's not just either or. Like, yep. it's a completely different arrangement yeah. when you insert cattle or ruminants well, I think that's into the, it. Right. That is the the like. This is the beauty of it. When the system's allowed to work mm-hmm. by by good actors, you know that are that are all um, free to act and trying to get better and better and better. You know, the system develops. Is it perfect today? Is every aspect of, you know, abundance ag and intensive farming perfect? Hell no. But it's but it's on a progression of being better and better and better. You know, and that's what we have to, we have to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. So if you have these, you know, like this vast prairie of grass and forage that we can't eat, and really doesn't, as Jack said, you don't want to be growing crops on it. It's way too fragile. You know, then we can we can run um, these beautiful ruminants out there. Um, they digest it, turn it into beautiful meat. We get to eat that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then in the, in the cattle system, then we get to move those cattle from the west to the east to here to the corn belt. Then we take advantage of our deep black soils and our ability to grow you know, 240 bushel corn, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then we can and we can use that, that some of that beautiful grain to, to finish our cattle and, um, and, and, and produce more highly, high, the highest quality protein to nourish people. So we can maximize the systems, minimize land use, um, and also environmental impact, you know, by the intensification of, of, of our ag system on the principle of let's grow and produce the most on the least mm-hmm. amount of land or inputs. You right. know, and that's what we're doing and we're, you know, we're trying to do more and more of. Mm-hmm. And as a guiding principle, it's like there's very few propositions I would suggest that are, that are super important in life or for human flourishing, the where you can literally have your cake and eat it too. Like usually the trade-offs would be so huge. Mm-hmm. But um, this is one of them that, that we really can have our cake and eat it too. You know, we can feed, as Norman Borlaug said, we can feed 10 billion people. Not a problem um, if we're allowed to. But what he left out, or he maybe just didn't get around to writing it down, is that, you know, we can also, we can save the environment as well. We can reduce the amount of land we're using and um, return more to nature while we feed more people. It's like, dang. Win, win, win. Let's, win. let's, let's get at it, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. You should have wrote that down. <laughs> yeah. Kicking himself. Yeah, right. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> oh. that, that may be a good place to, yeah, I don't know to if, end on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we... Uh, we got lots more to talk about, but that gives us do. another reason to come back, and I'd like to pick up on 
well, there's quite a few different things here on this whole theme, you know, to kick around even more. Um, maybe for next time would be fun. We've opened up a lot of different routes that we can go. And um, yeah. I, yeah. We, mm. we were planning to tackle, well, I guess we went into a few of them, but tackle the, uh, like the, the GMO is pretty heavily, but there's still a lot more um, of these misconceptions. So I think we'll, we'll dive into those in the future, but for sure. For now, thanks for gentlemen. Listening. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Enjoyed it. Yes, sir.